Real quick to start this, because today we're going to be looking a lot at creation and the conversation of creation. Do any of you guys ever have that experience where you're like in the woods or you're looking at the world and you just kind of pause in awe of how amazing this world is? Do you guys ever have that moment? I had it when I went to the Grand Canyon. I remember that we like, we thought like, oh, it's just going to be a silly hole in the ground. And then we stood there for like an hour staring. And you're like, it just blew my mind, right? Um, and, and around this world, as I watch, like me and my kids, we all love watching like those animal shows and different things about the world. There are things that you just see where you're like, I, like this is amazing what creation is. Let me show you a couple of them real quick. Um, these are the Gansu Mountains in China. Let me show these to you. These are real mountains that are just painted in that way. That's not like, you think like that's Dr. Seuss, right? That's real that this mountain range has these different colors all across it. And it's just like, how is that possible that something that gorgeous could exist? There are things that are like, honestly, like a surprise. Um, like there's this uh, Lake Hilliard, I believe is what it's called. It's in uh, Australia. That is a naturally formed and occurring lake that is bubblegum pink. It has algae inside of it. This isn't some human invention. And it has this pink hue as you fly into this area, which is just like, what? How is that possible? Right? It's so gorgeous and just like almost just wild. And, and then there are things that you see that like nature is almost at that place where it's kind of almost scary the raw power it has. Like in Hawaii, you can see this where literally molten rock rolls down from active volcano and then collides with the chaotic sea. And it's this like battle between fire and water all day, every day as these things are happening. I mean, like just in general, lava, molten, like liquid rock. What? How is that even possible? And there's just these things that are just so gorgeous where you're like, how is this real that creation is this amazing? I see it in the animals that we watch in these shows. Like, this is called the Mandarin duck, and it looks like something that you would color, like a kid would color that, doesn't it? Like, that's real. Like, that's not something someone dreamt up. That beautiful bird looks like that. It's painted in that way. There, there are animals that you see that honestly, like, defy logic, where it's almost like it doesn't even register. This is called the moon jellyfish. And the moon jellyfish, whenever I see things like this, it's like, it doesn't even make sense in what I believe an animal is, right? For you, you're like, oh, like what an animal is. And then you watch these and you're like, it doesn't have any of the stuff I would think an animal would require to be alive, yet it's alive. There are billions and billions of them in the ocean and they're beautiful. And then there are things, obviously, in creation animals where you see them, they're like beautiful, but also just terrifying. Real quick, this one is mine. This is the grizzly bear. A male full-size grizzly bear weighs 600 pounds. For reference, it can run as fast as a horse. It can swim faster than you and climb faster than you. Basically, if you're in the wilderness and that's there and desires to eat you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just you're a snack for this murder monster that is gorgeous but also terrifying, right? And you're like, man, look at this creation. It's so amazing as we look at this world. And then, you know, what's wild too is as I watch these, sometimes they'll kind of zoom out and they'll realize like, you know, this is our little world in our solar system, in our galaxy. And then now our technology is getting so good that we, we've, we've looked at this for years and years, but now we're peering beyond. And you see things like this. This is called M81. 
It's one of the brightest galaxies that we can view through a telescope. And that's a whole nother galaxy that's out there. And there are billions of these all around. And you look at creation and you're just like, how was this all made? How could this all be here? How could this all be so gorgeous and so amazing? Right. All of these things we believe God created. We believe that God is actually the creator of everything because it says so in the Bible. A verse that covers this really well is in Colossians. It says this in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That verse always just blows my mind when we read it, to think about God existing before anything else. Literally everything was created through him and for him. And, and not only that, that he literally holds creation together. The very atoms are held together by God. So the Bible says that everything was created by God, even these things that we can't see, the things in the heavens, but the things also that we can see here on the earth. And just the things that we can see are astounding in themselves. If we stop and look around, we really can see the work of a creator all around us. You know, we think about this earth, all the amazing things on the earth with the oceans and mountains, things that draw your eyes to a creator because they're just so amazing in their nature. Jungles and forests, the sky, weather, the powerful forces of weather. Nothing will make you pause and think about a creator as powerful weather. It leaves you feeling out of control because it's so big. All of the creatures God created, big and small, we'll literally go pay money just to be able to take a glimpse at these amazing creatures and be able to see part of all that God has created. One of the things that always stands out to me, too, is just our bodies, uh, especially as a woman. If you don't know, uh, we have four kids. So I'm a mom, and so I've given birth four times. And there's nothing that will amaze you at the work of the creator as giving birth to another human. I'm always just, when I stop to think about it, just amazed that my body created another body. Like it created a brain and eyes and fingernails. And I didn't have to do anything. Like it just, it did it on its own. And not only that, but that the process that God created, that my body will birth it when it's ready and that my body will create food for it. And it just, it does it on its own. It's amazing. It always astounds me and makes me think of our creator every time I've experienced it. So he, he gave us all these um, abilities, not only just with our bodies, we can uh, you know, hear, taste, touch, smell, all of these things. And these are just the things that we can see and that we can experience. We see that God creates things with a purpose and with a function. But God didn't just create all these things functional. Obviously, our bodies, this world is pretty functional. It, it you know, things pop up that don't work, but for the most part, everything works pretty well. But he didn't just create things functional. He also created them beautiful. 
When you look at nature, we can see just millions of species of plants, trees, animals, in every size, shape, color that you could dream up in your head. God made this earth so beautiful. And when you look at a beautiful painting or a piece of art, by looking at the piece of art, it tells you something about the artist that created it. And that's why it's important for us to stop and to look and to ponder God's creation, because when we do, it tells us something about the creator. When we look at God's creation, we see beauty, we see complexity, we see attention to the smallest details, we see that God is a God of order, of harmony, of design. He doesn't create things haphazardly, he creates things intentionally, and he gives each thing he creates a place and a purpose. There's one quote I want to read you that always um, resonates with me. It was by John of Damascus, who was a church father in the 8th century. He said this, God is infinite and incomprehensible, and all that is comprehensible about him is his infinity and incomprehensibility. And that's how I feel when I think about creation and all that God's created. It's incomprehensible to know all of what God created, why God created it. It makes you feel really, really small when you start to think about all these things. Yeah, and that creation story is so astounding that we get in Genesis where he begins to make these things. It's gorgeous in regards to its picture because it starts with the Spirit of God hovering over the chaos, and it's used as this picture of them, him collecting the chaos of the universe and creating order, creating things like time, like light, these pieces, and then building it out. And through this creation, we get to the place where then we get to Genesis 1.26, in which I believe we see what I would call the crescendo of creation. Now, this is still a part of the creation story, but something drastic happens in this verse where it says this in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So... God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's this crescendo of creation. Literally after this, the next day, God actually takes a break, takes a Sabbath, because creation had come to this complete moment. And in the last day that he was creating, he creates this special, special being known as human that we come about in creation as part of it. And inside of it, he says these two dynamics of what he decided to do with this creation, two different pieces that are given to us as our identity. First, he says, in the image of God, he created them. And that statement is wildly deep. The idea that we are not just like another piece of creation, that we have something that sets us apart from the rest of creation because we bear the image of our God. It's almost like we're a little sketch of the great, beautiful masterpiece of God, that we reflect who he is and intrinsically we have this. That's actually why we believe in the intrinsic value of all people and all these things, because we're image bearers of God. And then secondarily, he says, male and female, he created them. Fascinatingly, 
when he creates these human beings to reflect the character of who he is as image bearers, he bifurcates them into two different categories, male and female, both integral to the creation of humanity, but also both integral to the image bearing of God. Yeah. God created men and women intentionally. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that. God didn't have to. God could have just created humans one way. He could have just created men. He could have just created women. But he decided to. He decided to make men and women. He decided to differentiate us in that way. He made us different on purpose. But why? Why would God create men and women differently? Are we just different physically? Or is there more to it than that? Were we created to do the exact same things or were we created to do different things? And does it matter who does what? I don't know if you've ever wondered any of these questions before. But most of the time when we wonder about these things, when we ask these questions, we start at the wrong place. And one of the places that people tend to start with this is ourselves. We ask ourselves the question, who am I? How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? But that's not a good way to reach the truth. Because if the truth were already inside of us, we would just already intrinsically know it. We wouldn't feel the need to search out these answers to these questions. So starting with ourselves isn't really a good place to start with this conversation. But also looking to other people who appear to have the answers can also be very problematic. Because there's people uh, like Andrew Tate he will tell you very confidently what it means to be a man, what it's all about. That doesn't mean it's based in any truth whatsoever. And you can watch the Barbie movie, and that'll tell you about what our culture thinks being a woman is about and and what we should be. But there's no foundation of truth necessarily in any of that. Anyone and everyone can have opinions and feelings on what it means to be a man or woman. And whatever you feel, you can find somebody who will agree with you, who's going to validate those thoughts and opinions. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you've found the truth. And we do believe that there is truth out there to be found. For us as Christians, we find this truth in the Bible. Um, It says this really well in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6. And this is Paul talking to believers He says, there may be so-called gods in both heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us Christians, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. So as Christians, this is our truth. This is where we get that foundation of truth when we talk about any of these issues. We believe that there really is a creator who created everything, the God of this universe, and that he spoke, that we have his words in the Bible. And this is the truth that we base our whole lives on. Um, Like that verse said, we believe there is one God, and for him we live through him and we live for him. So in order to learn what it means to be men and women, we can't start with ourselves. We don't want to start with other people are saying. We want to start with the one who created us. Because we really do believe that God created everything. The universe, time, 
space, all of these massive systems, but then we also believe that God created you personally. Because if you believe that God is in control of all these big things, you have to believe that he's in charge of the small things. Because there really is no big or small with God. We differentiate that as humans because it's too much for us to grasp. But there's no big things with God. There's no small things with God. It's all part of his design as a creator. We truly believe that even though God has created billions and billions of unique humans across history, um, that he still intentionally created you and made you a male or female on purpose. Your gender is not a trivial thing to God. It's not as if, uh, you know, he just started creating and then, you know, just let it come out randomly. It's not an accident and it's not a mistake. It was assigned to you intentionally by a creator who designed your soul and who knows the deepest innermost parts of you. And if we really believe we've been created by God, then we have to be create, uh, believe that we were created for a purpose. Because we see all throughout creation, God doesn't create things with no purpose. That would be outside of his character. Because God is the creator, he alone gets to decide what the purpose is for his creation. So another thing that we can learn about the creator by looking at his creation, like I was saying before, when you look at creation, it tells you things about the creator. And one of those things is that everything God creates has capabilities and has limitations. Now, all creatures, when they're created, they are created and they happily submit to their creator. All the animals, uh, nature, it happily submits to the creator. By just accepting what God has told them to be, the Bible says that they praise God. It says in Psalm 148.5, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. So it says that God commands it, we are created, and then by simply existing and being what the creator said, that we glorify God, that we praise God. So it's as if like the jellyfish, just by being a jellyfish, it praises God. And the sky, just by being the sky, by being what God said to be, it praises God. And God has given creatures, animals, if you look at them, so many amazing capabilities. And like you said, we are always watching these nature documentaries in our house. And there's so many interesting and weird capabilities that God has given animals. I couldn't even begin uh, to talk about them, but just to name a few, eagles, they can see four times the level of detail as we can with our human eyes. And bloodhounds, they can smell a million times better than us, up to two million times better than us. Cheetahs, they can run 68 miles per hour, which is like, you know, depending how slow you are, like up to five times faster than us, six times faster. All these amazing capabilities God has given creatures. But an eagle can't be a cheetah, and a cheetah can't be an eagle. And as much as a cheetah might look at an eagle and, and be amazed at the capabilities of an eagle, it will never fly. All of creation has capabilities, and then they also have limitations. And the same is true for us as men and women. 
We are created by God with amazing capabilities, but then also there is the reality that just like everything else in creation, we also have limitations. Yeah, and what's fascinating about that is that all of creation submits to the creator's design for it. Like you said, it praises God by being what it is. But what's fascinating is that God's word points to the fact that there are two things in creation that don't. There are two things in creation that don't just simply follow along. Two things throughout history that have actually pushed against this. One is angels. In the end of the the Bible, when we see Revelation, it tells kind of the story of the beginning, and it tells that some angels actually, although they were created to worship God, to be his servants and messengers, they rebelled against God following Satan to honor themselves, and that that created this path of destruction that came forth from that. And then the other is us. We are the one other thing in creation that has the the capability and has throughout time rejected the call of God inside of who we are, rejected the limitations, rejected the purposes that he's put on top of us. In In fact, it's literally the beginning of the story. You read Genesis 1, and by Genesis 3, this is where the story goes to this rejection. It says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And see this, she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The serpent is, of course, a depiction of Satan who comes and Satan right away begins to undermine the creator's goodness, doesn't he? He's like, so you can't eat any of these trees? And she's like, actually, no, we can eat all of the trees. Uh, It's just this one that we're not supposed to eat. And actually, God said, if we eat it, it's going to bring destruction. And he says, no, 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 you don't get it. You see, he's trying to hide something good from you. If you eat from this tree, you will actually become like God. Right now, you're limited to just the good things. But if you eat this tree, you will know both good and evil. You will become like God. And it actually says that that's what she wanted when she took that. And listen, this is the core temptation, the crux that's at the problem in my heart and your heart to this day. That this idea where she said, you're right, if I eat this, then... I kind of get to decide if I'm going to do good or evil. Do you get the idea that she was limited to just the good before underneath of God? And now it's like, well, I can kind of decide to do some good stuff or some evil stuff. I think I'm in charge. And this is the crux. Are we the created under a creator or are we the creators of our own world? Are we the creators of our own self? Another way to say it in more modern, modern languages, do you think you really are the main character? Or instead, actually, is he the main character and you're the support role to that? This has been the same issue all throughout Scripture. 
where we tend to want to reject what the creator would give to us and instead complain against it. In fact, Paul said this all the way back in Romans 9, talking to people at this time. Get this, it's such a cool picture he uses to understand how us as humans reacting to what God has created it, and maybe even kind of rebelling against it or pushing against it, how strange it might look in a cosmic view. Check this out. He says this in Romans 9, 20 through 21. Who are you? a mere human being, to argue with God. Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? He said, let me, let me give you like a picture here, okay? He says, potters take this lump of clay and they pull out and they, they begin to build these, these jars. And he says, in one, they build really, really intricate and beautiful and smooth and perfect. And the point of that is to be this beautiful vase that you would set up and people would just look at it and say, wow, how gorgeous. He says, and then some, he would just spin and he would create a strong circle. And he says, that's garbage cans for throwing stuff in to be able to put away. And he says, but do you recognize how silly it would be for the clay to yell at the potter, you made me wrong. I don't want to be this way. He says, do you, do you see the, the ridiculousness because it's clay? If it wasn't for the potter, it would be nothing at all. You see the, 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 the beautiful pot and the, and the garbage basket. The garbage basket could be looking at the beautiful pot and say, I want to be gorgeous and beautiful and looked at like it. I think I desire to be that. You made me wrong. I want to be beautiful and I want to be appreciated in that way. And even the decorative vase might say, you know, I'm not so dainty. I don't just need to be, I want to do, I got more in me. I want to do something. I want to be useful. I want to be strong and to complain to the maker, you made me wrong. He says, you see how silly that would be because they would be nothing without the maker. Not only that, but real quick, the maker understands that every pot can't be a beautiful vase because where would you put garbage and that every pot can't just be garbage because some are meant to be beautiful. And not only that, but the, the potter actually knows what the clay is good for. The potter making it might say this clay is rough. It's not meant to be a beautiful vase. This, this clay is, is, is weaker. It doesn't have the strength and in, 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 integrity to be the garbage can. It's, it's meant to be fine china instead. You see, he's saying, it's foolish for us as the creation to point to God and argue that he did it wrong. He's just like clay yelling at the potter. And the reality is if he's made us, this is the correct response, our creator created us on purpose the way he meant to create us. That he crafted us with you in mind, lovingly, caringly. He crafted you into the person you were meant to be. Yeah, so the Bible teaches that the distinctions between men and women established by creation are part of God's design for humanity. Both of us are necessary and yeah. both of us are irreplaceable. And the best word I think that fits it is called. So we believe that if God made you a female, that you're called to be a woman. And if God made you a male, you're called to be a man. I don't think that most of us would think of our gender as a calling. We think of our job or ministry, skills and talents as our calling. 
But each of us are individually called by God in this way. We believe that your gender is actually part of your calling from God. And the reason it makes sense to look at it as a calling is that we can reject it. We have the choice to reject it if we want to. We can embrace it, our calling as men and women, and accept the way that the Creator has made us. Or even if we don't flat out reject it, we could live our life frustrated by the limitations of our calling and never truly walk in our calling the way God created us to. As Christians, we have a really high view of gender because we believe that our gender was assigned to us by a creator intentionally. It's a very sacred, spiritual thing to us, where oftentimes our culture can make it into something so shallow and so stereotypical, where we know that being a man is way more than drinking beer and driving a truck, just like being a woman is more than putting on a pair of heels and putting on makeup. Our culture presents this really shallow view of gender, but the Bible has a much deeper view of gender. We believe our gender is actually part of our calling, and that's why we take it so seriously, because this is the foundation that the rest of our life is really built on. We believe that as we embrace our calling and begin to walk in the purpose that God has created us for, it really does change every aspect of our lives. So we believe our calling is to be men and women, but what is God's purpose for us? Jesus says this in John 10.10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So the thief is the same enemy of God that we read about in Genesis. Um, That enemy, his goal has always been and will continue to be to this day to steal and kill and destroy. His, His desire for you is to steal your calling, to steal your purpose so that you never truly walk in what you were created to be. He wants to kill any growth, any progress that you make in your life. His goal is just to destroy you, to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your body, destroy your faith in God. Nothing makes him happier than to destroy us. That is his ultimate goal. And he wants you to stay stuck in a place of confusion or dissatisfaction and shame in your life. Going back to that story of Adam and Eve, Eve listened to the serpent. And by doing what she thought was best in the situation, by doing, uh, following her own desires, sin entered the world and changed everything. God's purpose was for her to stay in perfect relationship with him, that she would never have to experience the pain and brokenness that sin would, would ultimately bring into this world. But she didn't accept the one limitation that God had. Now, Satan, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but thankfully, that verse doesn't end there. It says that God's purpose for us is to give us a rich and satisfying life. He's not trying to withhold good things from us. And that's the lie that Eve was tempted to believe, and it's still the lie that we're tempted to believe today, that the limitations that God sets are keeping us from good things, when in reality, the limitations that God sets are for our own benefit. His plans for us are good. He loves you. Just like how in creation, 
He doesn't just create things functional. He creates them beautiful. And with us, he doesn't just create us to exist in this world, but he created us to thrive. He wants us to have not just life, but a rich and a satisfying life. And choosing to live in obedience to our creator gets us closer to that purpose, to God's purpose for us, which is to have that rich and satisfying life. Our perspective is so important in this conversation. And if somehow we could strip away all the things that we've heard over the years, all the things we learned from our parents or your grandparents about what it means to be a man and woman, all the things you've seen on TV and the podcasts you've listened to, if we could take that away and just see God's design for what it is, see why he created us differently, um, how we complement each other, I believe that if we could just get a glimpse of that design, that it would truly humble us and, and leave us in awe and leave us really grateful. I like this um, illustration that I found in one of the books I read in preparation for this. It says, um, you know, in creation, every creature has something that could be seen as an inconvenience, depending on its perspective. An elephant is pretty big, right? <laughs> could be an inconvenience at time being that big and trying to get around. A turtle might get annoyed because it carries its home on its back everywhere it goes. It has to carry it. It has this clunky shell. It could get annoying at times. The bird has to at times get weary with the weight of their wings that they have to carry everywhere that they go. But elephants aren't called to go into small spaces. And turtles have no need to fly. And birds have no need to creep along the ground. See, the special gift and ability of each creature defines its limitations. So I don't know what it is that you find frustrating about being a man or being a woman, but I believe that if you gain the perspective of an almighty God who creates all things intentionally and you truly believe it, you begin to see those limitations as a pathway into living into freedom. Because it's when the bird accepts the weight of those wings and uses them that they can fly into freedom. It's when they accept that limitation of their heavy wings. They have to accept it in order to gain that special gift of flight and finally do what God created them to do. And it's the same way with us as men and women. When we finally accept our gender as our calling, with the limitations that come with it, because everything God creates has capabilities and has limitations. When we accept those limitations, it's then that we can find our special gifts and abilities and finally fly into that freedom of who God created us to be. Yeah, we really do believe that for each and every one of us, the Creator has created you intentionally. That you are not an accident. God not only created us as humanity from the beginning, but he created you intentionally. And that even who you are, what your purpose is, it's not accidental as well. That even your gender is part of your calling on this earth. It's not just a variable that comes out randomly. It's not peripheral, but it's actually part of the fact that God has a purpose and a call for your life. Now, real quick, if, um, if you are a pre-Christian, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, um, you might think this all sounds silly. Um, and of course it does. Uh, because if you don't believe that you have a creator, none of this makes sense. 
right? You're like, oh, this is just an argument about different philosophies or this, and that's not at all what this is. But if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you, the first thing you just need to wrestle with is you need to lean in and you need to find him. If you don't have a relationship with him, don't worry about delving in through all of this right now. What I would really encourage you to do is lean in and fall in love with Jesus because what I found is if you fall in love with Jesus and you recognize him as your creator, that he actually cares about you, then all of this becomes clear because you're like, oh, he's my maker. He's my creator. He has the right to speak these things over me and he does them lovingly because he's a good creator and a good father. But for you, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, right, you've been, you've been called by God to salvation. He's brought you to the place where he's forgiven your sins. And then now your goal for the rest of your life is discipleship. It's to look more like Jesus and also, get this, to look more like the person you are called to be. That God has a specific calling on you and that you are meant to lean into that and become the person you're meant to be. And this is the very same when we come to being men and women, not just accepting whatever culture might say about these areas, about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, but instead realizing that there is a difference called to you. If you are a Christian man, there is a calling on your life. If you are a Christian woman, there is a calling on your life. That same book, T.S. Uh, not T.S. Eliot, his wife, Elizabeth Eliot, she said this, and it's so good of a way to think about it. She says, the fact that I am a woman doesn't make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I'm a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. You see, her calling of being a Christian woman, it influences everything of how she is a woman. And these differences in who we are, they're not meant to be negated or, or combated. They're meant to be embraced. The reality that we have a creator and that he has created us and called us. Listen, right now in our culture, we are at a fascinating inflection point where there has been so much argumentation of what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man, dissenting voices, all of this chaos inside of it. Are those things even necessary anymore? Does it matter, male, female, man, woman, what is this? And let me just say this, here's what we believe, that as our culture has leaned into this, we are doing it at our own peril. It is the same conversation that happened back in the garden. Instead of saying there is a creator, he has created, we are the clay, he is the potter. As our world, as our culture, and even the church starts going, well, maybe we can just decide that. Maybe we can just determine that. We do it at our own peril. Just like Eve, we thought, this is going to make things better. I'm going to be more like God. And what it brought was death and destruction and pain. The very same. We as the church want to focus in and say, we truly do believe there is a creator God who we can trust. And that if he has created it, he has a purpose for it. He has a calling in it. And we want to follow along with that calling. So for us, here's what our goal is. And, and really today, it's not just a message, but it's something that's been on Amy and my heart for our church. We want to begin a ministry in regards to, in our church, just this, this, this conversation and this motion in our church of saying, it's our desire to build strong men and strong women. It's our desire as a church that part of our goal is to build strong men and to build strong women.
And just to start with this, as we go forward, is by messages, conversations, everything. We literally, just to begin this, are starting a midweek where we're gonna get together and what we're gonna do is we're gonna gather with men and we're gonna gather with women. We're gonna get men together, we're gonna get women together, and we're gonna talk about how we can strengthen who we are in our calling, that it's not an accident that you are a man, it's not an accident that you are a woman, and that you are called in this. And what we're gonna start doing is meeting every other week, women, then men, back and forth, where we can learn, we can pray, and we can apply to our lives. Now, here's the benefit of this. One, God said different things to men and women in the Bible. There's many things that are the same, but there are some that he calls Christian men to that he does not call Christian women to. And there are some he calls Christian women to that he does not call Christian men to. And we want to flesh those out because we think they actually are important in our calling. Secondarily, even the things that are common find different application if you're a man or you're a woman. The same conversation about what we should do in our life, it has different application if you are a Christian man or if you are a Christian woman. So being together in, in men and women means we can find that application. And last also, we think it's important for men to encourage men and women to encourage women. That there's power inside of that as we embrace those. Now, here's where I'd love for you to just stop and think for a second. What would happen? What would happen if we as the church started building just strong men and strong women. That was part of our calling. What if, not just our church, but what if the church in general really began to embrace this, that we don't just have this conversation in culture, but we say this is a creation issue and it's critical for us to go back to the creator and ask, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Here's what I believe would happen if we created strong men and women. If we create strong men, these men would begin to lose their dependence on shallow and fake ways to display masculinity. Men like Andrew Tate would go broke because they don't need some sort of loud, boisterous voice to know that they have a deep and powerful purpose inside of them. If we created strong men, these men would develop this purpose and they wouldn't just exist. They wouldn't just muddle along. In a world where currently there's this growth of all these men who are removing themselves from the dating pool, who are turning into these, these huddled men, instead men who would stand up and say, there's a reason why God made me a man and I have a purpose on this earth. And I really do believe this. If we develop strong men, it would make the entire world around us safer. If we have strong men, everything around a strong man becomes safer. Safer for himself, safer for the women, safer for the kids, safer for the community, if you have actually strong men. The women, if we built strong women, they would stop being defined by confusing and unhealthy cultures of what defines femininity and feminism that is selling women down a path that is just destruction. Strong women would no longer need the affirmation from social media or from dating and, and hookups in order to feel as though they're valuable. They would know without anyone's input, I am valuable because God created me and built me as this strong woman that I am. And we believe that if we built strong women, listen, it would make everything in the world better. Everywhere strong women goes, things get better. Everything they touch, things get better. If we built strong men and we built strong women, that would make strong families. And if we built strong families, you know what that would build? Strong children. And if we have strong families and strong children, that would create strong churches. 
And if we had strong children and strong churches, it would create strong communities that would change the world. It would all flow from there and it would shift the culture, which is what we believe we're called to do in this community anyway. So what we want to do in this next season is we want to lean in and ask God, how can we build strong Christian men and strong Christian women? Because we think it's critical right now and it's only going to get more critical as we move forward. Would you pray with me for a second? God, I pray right now that you would just apply this to our hearts. I pray right now there would be a courage that would develop in some hearts who never knew that they had a calling on their life. But right now, even just in the beginning, they're like, wait a second, there's already one thing I know. God has called me to this. God has called me to this, and I'm going to lean in and begin to walk it out. God, I pray that you would give us courage to apply this inside of our church as we grow in strength. I pray that you would help us develop these strong men and women and become the people who you've called us to be. I pray right now if there's anyone who doesn't know you, Jesus, and right now you're not their their creator, they don't recognize that. I pray that right now if you're stirring in their heart, wait a second, I think he really was the creator. I think this really is true. I pray that you would draw their heart to you in this moment. Maybe right now they would recognize their own sin at the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they would say, Jesus, I need you. And maybe in this moment they would even just pray in their hearts and they would say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my pride and hubris. Forgive me for thinking that I was in control of it all. You are in control. Come into my life. Forgive me. Become the leader of my life, the creator, the the one I would point to and follow after. And I pray that you would bring salvation to their hearts. You would wash away sin and shame and you would create peace and grace inside of their hearts. God, help us to build this in our church. And I pray, God, that as we do, Lord, it would bless not only our, our church, not only our children, but it would bless our community and the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.